Are you curious to learn more about how to navigate your spiritual awakening? Have you been feeling a nudge in your soul, something pulling or calling you to explore more? Well, you've come to the right place. The Spiritually Curious Podcast is a sacred container built to support you on your spiritual awakening journey and live your soul's purpose. I'm your host, Bridget Nistico, a seeker, space holder, author, and soul coach. Each week, we will hear from fellow seekers about how their spiritual curiosity led to a path of awakening to their soul's truth and purpose. From rock bottoms to breakthroughs, we'll explore how they navigated the highs, the lows, and everything in between, as well as the tools they use to support them during their spiritual awakening. Are you spiritually curious? If so, keep listening. Hey, Soul Fam, welcome to another episode of Spiritually Curious. I am so excited for you to join us today in a conversation I have with my dear soul sister, Katya Lovejoy. Katya is a clinical hypnotherapist, trauma coach, and meditation teacher who supports highly sensitive people to reclaim a sense of wholeness and empowerment after trauma. She holds degrees in neuroscience and social work, as well as esoteric trainings from lineages around the world. Her work is truly profound. It's one that I feel um, very called to, and I think a lot of people are exploring more lately, which is trauma healing. And we all have experienced trauma in our lives. No one is immune to it. And she walks individuals through um, how to resolve this trauma, how to um, work through it with tools and different resources and uh, you know clinical approaches to this uh, process. And so I'm excited for you to get to hear her story. We realized that we had so much in common, um, get to learn from her, and also get to hear about another topic that her and I talk a lot about, which is how mental health and spirituality can coexist. Um, something that I share a lot about and I'm very transparent is, you know, mental health challenges that I've had and particularly in still uh, engaging in taking, you know, some medications that I felt called to do. And that's not for everyone. And both of us have found that oftentimes that's, that's looked down upon in the spiritual space. And so we dig into a really deep conversation in how those two can coexist and how we truly believe that whatever is right for each individual is right for them. And that, you know, oftentimes, like I mentioned in the spiritual space, you know, different practices can be frowned upon and especially um, navigating mental health challenges with the the form of a medication as a support tool in particular. So uh, we have a really rich conversation covering a wide variety of topics, and I'm so excited for you to get to witness her, get to hear from her today. And with that, I give you Katya. Hello, beautiful soul fam, and welcome back to another episode of Spiritually Curious. I am super excited today to have one of my dear soul sisters, Katya Lovejoy, joining us. Katya, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm so glad we're finally getting a chance to do this together. I'm so, so excited. I know it's going to be fun. I always say like, I love these conversations because it's literally just like catching up with my friends. It's not really like an interview. And I find that there's so many things that I get to learn about my friends that like I've never known just through the natural organic flow of the process. So I'm excited to to get to learn more about you and dive in a little deeper together. Yeah, we've had some amazing conversations just as girlfriends and I'm excited to be able to share that now with the world. I know me too. Um, Mm -hmm. so I always like to start off with how we met because 
One of the pillars that I talk about on the podcast is just the importance of community and really how when we're navigating, you know, our spiritual awakening or beginning this process, it can be really challenging as you know, mm-hmm. and it's so important that we, yeah, I know girl, we've had those convos for sure. <laughs> um, and it can be just, you know, a bit of a rocky terrain and just the importance of having soul family and community. And so you and I actually met um, during a program that we took together and um, it was, you know, an interesting experience, which we won't really dive into, but I'm (laughs) thankful for a lot of the relationships that, yeah, won't go there, but I'm thankful for a lot of the relationships that I was able to um, to make and just our friendship and how we've stayed in touch. I think it's been what, um, a year and a half. Has it been? Yeah, how long I has that been year, since we met? A year and a half since we met. Um, and, and yeah, we're, you know, since the, we left the program, it's been wonderful that we get to still be in touch. And that's the, the magic of these soul connections is like, you know, even if you meet in a certain situation that may not end up being right for you, you find those people that you resonate with. And that connection is forever. Right. And how there's like always a purpose behind everything. So even if one piece doesn't necessarily resonate that, you know, spirit universe has a way of like piecing together other areas, like these connections, these relationships that you um, are able to gather and, and bring out from whatever that, um, circumstance might be. So I'm, I'm definitely grateful for that. So Same. yay, yay. <laughs> I know. Um, so I'd love to learn a little bit more about, um, your background and upbringing in regards to like a spirituality, um, you know, context. We talk a lot about, you know, a lot of the guests that come on share, um, just how, what their upbringing looked like in terms of um, might have been a religious background or uh, what spirituality really looked like for you as you were growing up. Mm. Yeah, that's such a wonderful question um, because I think our spirituality does start when we're young, and it our our upbringing does impact our spiritual path even as adults. I've, my spiritual journey has been very circuitous. It's taken a lot of twists and turns and starts and stops. Um, but I've always been a really contemplative person. And as a child, I was really thoughtful and sensitive and I spent, I had like a very alive inner life and I would spend a lot of time in nature that was where it felt really peaceful for me. My home was pretty chaotic. So being out in nature, I really like felt the magic of nature when I was a kid. And I think, you know, as kids were so open and tapped in, you don't even know that you are because it's just like your way of being. And I would like, um, like build shrines in the woods to, I don't know, like it didn't, I guess to spirits, but I I didn't have that awareness at the time. Um, And then my home was pretty unique in terms of spirituality. My mom and her family is Catholic and my mom's very domineering. So, you know, it's her way or the highway. And so that was like the official religion of our family was um, Catholic, Byzantine Catholic. And, but my dad was Buddhist. So 
I, well, he grew up Catholic, but then um, became a Buddhist in his adulthood. So I grew up, you know, in a house that had Buddha statues, like in his study, and he would share with me different, you know, teachings. He, uh, he sat with Ramdas. Ramdas was one of his teachers. So I learned about Ramdas being a little girl. Um, and then I'm also having to go to Catholic church. So it was like well-rounded, I guess, but also a little confusing. Um, and yeah, should I go into like my spiritual journey and how that unfolded from there? Yeah, well, that's what we'll go into next. But just to kind of touch on a few things that I heard from you that I would love to um, dig into a little bit more with you sharing, you would make um, shrines and altars as a child, just how I, I really believe that we are so tuned in and tapped in as children, and then we lose it along the way. And it seems like your own um, natural connection to source was uh, something that you really were able to um, bring forth and to take the time to engage in what felt right and aligned for you. So that's so beautiful that that was an experience that you had. Yeah. And, and at the same time, there was no context for it. So, you know, I think in other cultures and communities that would have been understood as a spiritual practice. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I, and I might've received some guidance or some context around like, Oh, there, like nature is alive. Like there are spirits and things like that, but I didn't really have that to, for it to land in. I remember talking to, you know, how it's been, what it was told to me and how I remember it was talking to inanimate objects, right? That, was the story. But looking back from where I sit now, I think I was probably talking to energies and spirits, but again, there was no context. And the adults around me were like, Oh, you know, she's just like talking to a rock or whatever, um, where it may have been deeper. Yeah, that's beautiful. I know. And we, I remember, you know, um, my brother in particular and, um, listening to him when I was little and I too had this experience, um, just channeling light language and channeling Mm -hmm. energy and not really understanding what that meant or, um, what was happening. But, you know, as we got older, we, we've actually, it was like like two months ago, we were, you know, talking about our experiences, children. And I was sharing with him how this was like, a. a a gift that I feel like I was reactivating as an adult. And he was like, yeah, I remember that I could too. And it's like, we just have, we're so tuned in when we have, I know it's so interesting. And I love um, how freely you experience that. And like, while we don't have context, like you said, it's that, that natural ability as children to um, really connect in that unique way. And, um, it's fascinating that your um, both of your parents had such different backgrounds religiously. So, um, how did you, when you, you know, ex- grew and, um, as you developed into your own personal relationship, what did you take with you? Any of the, um, you know, from your mom, from your dad, what did that look like as you continue to develop that over the years as you grew? Yeah. So, I I was thinking about this, you know, knowing I was going to come here and get to share with your audience about the spiritual journey. And 
it's funny when you look back at things, you're like, oh, that, and this made sense. Like talking to you now about how I was as a kid, it's only been in the last couple of years that I've made that connection of like, oh, I was tapped in, you know, for so long I thought, oh, I'm, I'm not. Um, but I was remembering that I think I had like my first spiritual awakening or activation when I was around like 13 or 14. And I don't remember what happened. All I remember is that all of a sudden I decided that I wanted to devote myself to God. Like it's kind of random. And I decided that I wanted to start going to church. I became very like dedicated to going to church and it was strange to the other people in my life. They didn't get it. And again, I can't really remember what happened, but I remember this strong feeling of wanting to be devoted to God. You know, that's just what I was calling it. And it didn't last very long because the Catholic church that I was a part of, it wasn't really the ground that my spirituality, my unique, you know, way of connecting to spirit needed to, um, be planted in, if that makes sense. Like, like I tried it on and it it just wasn't quite right for me. Um, and then with my dad, like he was such an intellectual and like always had all these books and was reading, you know, yes, the Dhammapada, you know, written by the Buddha, but also like a lot of Rumi. So I remember in high school being really into like Sufi mysticism. Um, but then, you know, at the same time, I'm growing up in a world where I'm being told that the most important thing to devote yourself to is, is academia, you know, get really good grades so that you could get in a really good college and then get a really good job. So that, you know, there was not a lot of room for spirituality there. Um, and I did all those things. And then two years after graduating and I was, um, you know, live working that job, living in New York city and, and not happy. Um, my depression. So I've suffered with depression. I would for as long as I can remember. And it was really kind of coming forward after college. You know, I think it's sometimes you need to separate yourself from the situation in order to really feel the impact that it had, you know, growing up in a, household with chaos and, and substance use and, and mental health issues, you know, you're just trying to survive. And then after you leave, it's like, it kind of hits you. So that was happening. And I decided to quit my job and go to South America for like five months before I was meant to go to grad school. And I spent a significant amount of time in Colombia. And around this time in my life, I, for some reason, I decided that there was no God, or I guess I was more agnostic, which is interesting, right? Because in 13, I'm having this experience where like, I want to go to church and devote myself to spirituality in the way that I, I knew it at the time. And then I'm like, you know, I don't know if, if there's a divine, I don't know if God exists. I think because, um, you know, I studied to be a scientist and, my dad was also, yes, he was a Buddhist and he didn't have like a devotional practice. It was very, um, kind of like scientific, like this is the, like mindfulness and the science of meditation and that kind of thing. But in Colombia, I 
was just around these really heart-centered people. I had never felt so accepted by people who wanted to be my friends. Like what you're saying about soul family, it's like, you know, when you meet those people, right, you feel at home in your body, you feel connected on a soul level. And I felt that and that opened something in me. We were in nature like all the time. And I had this, this sense of like, wow, this is God or this is spirit. Like it's nature. I remember having that, like, wow, I believe in something now. And towards the end of my trip, this was like my second spiritual activation. Um, I went to what I thought was an eco yoga village, which turned out to be a Hare Krishna monastery. And it was a very traditional kind of strict Hare Krishna monastery, um, where like the women and men were separated, they wouldn't eat together, um, which, you know, I had an issue with that. And, you know, they're waking up at 4am to do yoga and then chanting to the statue of, you know, their guru. And I not having any kind of devotional practice and being a little arrogant, actually, in my um, scientific ways. I I had a lot of resistance Mm -hmm. to it. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yes, I'm a spiritual being. Mm -hmm. I'm also a human with an ego and can definitely be arrogant. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah. So, and for for your listeners who may not know what Hare Krishna is, it's... um, it's a spiritual practice that is largely, you know, um, rooted in chanting to, you know, Krishna, which is a, a deity, which is, you know, what the Hindus call God, um, or one of the names of God. And there was something about that. The chanting did something for me um, that I didn't really notice at the time, but I, it was starting to crack my heart open. And at the end of that time, at the end of the week there, the last day, we did a sweat lodge. Now, sweat lodge is not like part of Hare Krishna. I didn't know that at the time. Um, Sweat lodge is a practice that many different indigenous peoples do around the world. And this one was connected to the indigenous people of Colombia, but it, it was on the, the grounds of the Hare Krishna monastery. So like, I didn't know the difference. But that experience blew my heart open. It was so profound for me. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, we're in the sweat lodge. And again, for those who may not know, sweat lodge, there's four rounds in, in a lodge, which means that the door closes, you're in there, that's a round. And then the door opens to give some air, you know, it gives you a break and then it closes again. Right. So there's four rounds. And this one we would leave the lodge between every round and go plunge into a cold river. So it was very intense on the body. And then we're chanting and we're drumming and we're praying. And it was, I've never felt so high, (laughs) not using substances. Um, and I have, I have sat with cannabis many times before that. And many times after as a way of connecting to spirit, but never did I experience something as profound as that sweat lodge where, you know, no substances. Um, and it was so deep for me that I called my parents and was like, I think I'm meant to be a Hare Krishna devotee. (laughs) 
And they're like, please don't. Wow. Like, come home. You have to NYU. Go to grad school. Like, and I knew Gosh. I would get that from my mom, but I expected something different from my dad because he, you know, he did make his spirituality a big part of his life. And it was something he came to as an adult. So I thought he would really, you know, give me kind of the okay on that. And I was really upset. And I, we were emailing because I was in Colombia, and I remember emailing him that like, how can you not support me kind of thing? And he wrote me back something to the effect of like, I understand how you feel and I do support you. And you don't have to rush this, you know, you, you know, you're meant to come home, you wanted to go to grad school. So do that. And then you can pursue, you know, if you really want to go back, you can. And I understand now, and I'm sure you do too, um, from where we sit now, given everything that we've experienced, like the wisdom of that email, where he was basically telling me, this was a bliss out, blowout experience. Yes, you connected with divinity and it was so powerful mm-hmm. and let it integrate like you don't make life mm-hmm. from the bliss place you experience mm-hmm. the bliss place yeah. connect to divinity and then you let that land in your body and in your life yeah it can inform things yes yeah. Oh, so many, oh, so many nuggets that I, I pinned while you were talking. So, <laughs> oh, I just love you shared, but I want to circle back to a couple of things um, from everything that we just went through and were able to um, hear from you. So the first thing that you shared that really struck me that I could really relate to was your desire to go to church at like 13 and how it mm-hmm. wasn't really um, brought on by anything because I too, I, you know, I was really a wild child and got into a lot of trouble. And I remember I said to my mom, like, I need to go to church. Like it was almost like, you know, I know it was so strange. And I started studying Kabbalah at like 16. And so I feel like, you know, for those listening, if you're listening to this and you are spiritually curious, you probably have had similar experiences where, you know, just like we talked about being a child and you might've had, you know, mystical, um, things happen on some of the other episodes. We had a lot of guests talk about how they were, they would go to bookstores and pick out, you know, books about tarot and mysticism Mm -hmm. and all these things at such a young age. And they didn't realize why, And then that develops later into like this yearning, this longing for this spiritual connection as you grow. And I think that's why often, you know, the only reference point we necessarily might have is, okay, I need to go to church to connect to God, you know, Mm -hmm. or I need to study a type of religion to have that relationship. And so I found it interesting you sharing that because I could totally relate and I'm sure others can really relate to that as well. Because oftentimes as we're, you know, raised by our family or we have a certain religious practice that's, you know, ingrained in us from a young age, we tend to try and lean on that and it doesn't always resonate, right? So I do think it's important to really try on different spiritual practices and, you know, expand ourselves into different spaces where we are, um, you know, able to explore and see, you know, if something fits right and is aligned. But for me, I, you know, when I got sober, I went back to the church and mm-hmm. I was raised Catholic also, but my mom was reading Wayne Dyer and had Buddhas all over our house. So I too had, you know, very 
Um, it, it worked, so, so I didn't realize how similar our paths were. So I had these. I know this is blowing my mind. And isn't so it wild? I'm like, yeah, it's wild. And so this is why I love these conversations because we get to really see how you know similar we all are, and I'm sure those listening can totally relate. And um, having these like two um, wildly different ways of navigating this spiritual space. So. Um, you know, thank you for sharing that. The other thing I want to um, put a pin in for the listeners is um, your, as you, you know, grew and you, you really allowed yourself again, like you did as a child, the freedom to be spiritually curious and explore, which, you know, ended you up in this blissed out sweat lodge space where you had this, you know, enlightened divine conscious, you know, awakening experience. Um, and I think that it's important that, you know, we do, um, remain open to what's coming in for us. And so the whole premise of being spiritually curious is, um, again, really ensuring that we are honoring our soul's calling, that if we're feeling called to, you know, somewhere like you were, I love that you followed that calling. It was so beautiful that you honored that. Yeah. You know, I feel really blessed that I had my dad as an example of somebody who was spiritually curious, knowing that, you know, he grew up Catholic and then found his way to Buddhism. I think that gave me, and, and then even in that, you know, he's reading, you know, Sufi poets and this and that. Um, I think that that gave me uh, permission. And so I, and I, and I can really empathize with people who didn't have that and who maybe were growing up in a place in a situation where it was very rigid of like, this is the only spiritual path. And I, Bridget, I just love what you're doing here. I was spiritually curious because this is hopefully giving people permission and this example, we all need examples. Like we need to see people go ahead of us on the path. And it's important to be able to see or to have that permission to be curious. Yeah. And I think back to like the whole community and soul family is the purpose behind the podcast was when I first really had my, you know, spiritual awakening, I felt so alone Mm. and I was in such a dark place and nobody really around me understood what I was going through. And so it's my hope that through, you know, you and others sharing their stories that people are able to realize that, Hey, I'm not alone in this, that there are so many other people that have had this experience and millions of people are waking up right now with Mm -hmm. the state of the world and what's, you know, this shift in consciousness that's really flowing through a lot of people. And so it's just important that, you know, we share our story. So thank you for, you know, sharing your story with us and um, what that looked like for you. Um, I'm curious, I'm curious, spiritually curious. Um, (laughs) I'm curious to know a little bit more about how you um, then transitioned into the different spaces and, um, you know, your background as a hypnotherapist and a trauma coach and a meditation teacher. So, you know, after this conversation with your dad, what did that look like? and, And what did, you know, what were your next steps that led you ultimately to where you are now with this? So I did go back to New York and I started my master's in social work, which 
I didn't really enjoy, but the way that spirit, you know, is so funny is that, um, (laughs) right next door to my internship in Brooklyn was a Hare Krishna temple. Like it's hilarious. Oh my gosh. (laughs) You can't get away from it. (laughs) Like how random is that? Right? Like the divine has such a sense of humor and, um, I'm so grateful for that. So on lunch breaks, I would go and chant with the Hare Krishnas. Um, and <clears throat> excuse me, that really opened me into bhakti yoga. So bhakti yoga is the yoga of devotion and it's very heart centered and it's about chanting, you know, bhakti yoga is about chanting the names of the divine and through the chanting, you know, we open our hearts, we open that channel to, um, to receive, you know, that spiritual energy. And it's a way of, of praying, you know, I've, yeah, I've had some beautiful experiences chanting. Um, I ended up quitting social work school halfway through. It's a two-year program. So I was there for a year. And then I decided, you know, I want to be a yoga and meditation teacher. So I did that. And that was, you know, profound in many ways. And, and looking back, it was it was the community. Like you said, like having that spiritual community was so nourishing for me to be around people who are interested in the same things, who are learning with me, you know, these different technologies for connecting to our own, you know, wholeness and our own spirituality. So that was really powerful. And then my dad got cancer and died. And that experience was a spiritual initiation also for me. Um, I, he, you know, he's a Buddhist. He was a Theravadan Buddhist, but I had picked up the Tibetan book of living and dying at that time and reading that and, um, sharing it with him as he was crossing over. And in that experience, it's so interesting. I didn't even think I'd talk about this. Um, yeah. So there's something called the, um, I believe I'm pronouncing it right. The POA practice, it's P-H-O-W-A that comes from the Tibetan book of living and dying, which is a fantastic book. If you're living or dying, I highly recommend it. We're all doing both. Um, so mm-hmm. it's this like prayer that you, that you say to help a soul cross over. And as he, what my sister and I, you know, were there he had already lost the ability to speak. It was, it was going to happen. We kind of knew this was the time and I had left the room to get some coffee. And as I came back in, my sister was in a panic. She's like, he stopped breathing. So, um, you know, we called the nurse and I'm there at the foot of his bed and he opens his eyes and takes a big breath in and looks right into my eyes. And then that was his last breath. And at that time, and then I like took the book out and I was reading him the, the POA prayer over and over. And it's, I can't remember it right now, but it's, um, you know, something like, may you be forgiven for everything. Like, may you connect with the light of the Buddha, um, et cetera, et cetera. And my sister, who's not a spiritual person, um, she even felt the power of it. And she was like, thank you so much for, um, doing that. And that experience, like the days after he passed, we were up in Maine where he was living and it's so beautiful there and it was summertime. And I would just like walk around processing my grief and just like seeing 
the nature. And again, there's that, this connection to nature and just having this awareness of something bigger. I saw this flower and I was like, like everything is born out of this one energy and this flower is going to have a lifetime of, you know, two months and my, and then it will, it will go back into the earth or back into that energy. And my dad had a lifetime of 74 years and then he went back and, you know, we're all these little, I think of it like a lava lamp, like little, like, like blobs coming up into manifestation or into form <laughs> into life. Right. And then we go back down and I don't know, like that mm. is the image that came to me. It was this very spiritual time for me. And it also really mm. clarified things for me. And some of your listeners may know that our spiritual awakenings are not always lovely. They are mm. often connected to mm. pain and, and, and I think grief is such a, uh, an, well, I know grief is such a natural part of being human. And then I, I do think it's a portal to our spirituality. So, you know, all this happened and I decided that I wanted to move to California you know, when people die, you start to question life. And so I, I'm like off track. <laughs> well, oh, how did I get to where I am now? Yeah. So I live in California now. Yeah, so I really and I would quick. love to just, like, yeah, go while ahead. you're on that pause really quick, I would love for you to wrap into this. Cause I do want to talk about too, um, your work, you know, with trauma resolution systems mm -hmm. and how you support people on that. So, so if you could touch on, you know, trauma and the, um, the spiritual awakening process and what that looks like as well. So not totally. sorry to interrupt you. Just no, make sure. perfect. So, and it actually, it's all in alignment. So it so happens that when I moved here and I, I did end up finishing my master's and then as I finished it, I, I discovered transpersonal hypnotherapy and that was very profound in my life and continues to be transpersonal means beyond the person right? So beyond this identity, beyond this personality. So that means like, you know, other people, also other beings, other energies. And the, the thing about hypnotherapy is that it's giving us a, a pathway to um, something deeper, something wider. Only 5% of our experience is conscious. 95% is happening in the subconscious and the unconscious. And through the subconscious, we have access to the uh, collective unconscious to our, you know, this universal consciousness where we have connection to that, which is beyond this limited personality. Like when we're just in our conscious mind or in our ego, right. Or we could call it the small self. We have this idea that we are separate and there's a lot of pain in that feeling of separation. There's a lot of loneliness if we can tap into that deeper awareness of our, the deeper aspects of our consciousness, we make contact with the fact that we are connected to something much bigger, the, an eternal wholeness, kind of like what I was coming to with this lava lamp vision with my dad. It's like, yeah, there's these, you know, energy takes form in the form of a plant or, you know, an animal or a human, but ultimately it's energy and it comes back to the source eventually. And so I found that to be, um, really profound for both my spiritual path and also my healing path. So I went to a school called the wellness Institute and it 
um, you know, I studied something called heart-centered hypnotherapy, which is this um, modality of transpersonal hypnotherapy that's actually designed for trauma healing. So while people um, can do trauma healing without a spiritual connection, I find that having that spiritual energy as part of the healing is really powerful because, again, this is a sense of wholeness, a sense of something bigger. When we've experienced trauma, first of all, it often makes us feel like we have to be small. So there's that disconnection from our largeness. But it also feels like we're broken. It can feel like something's been taken from us or that a piece of us is missing. So when we can connect to something bigger and recognize that we are a part of and connected to this wholeness and this um, this consciousness of divine love, that is deeply healing. So, yeah, I mean, trauma healing is um, it's very it's multidimensional. The way that I approach mm. it is from this subconscious place, but also from um, the the spiritual realm and from the body, the the somatics, because the body is a a mirror for the subconscious. And in my spiritual practice, like I mentioned with the sweat lodge, and since that moment in Colombia, I've done so many sweat lodges. I was blessed to be connected to Lakota community here in San Diego. And sweat lodge continues to be my favorite way to pray. Something about working through the body, the body becoming very, you know, working with the heat and and sometimes fasting, like there's a pathway to spirit through the body. So Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's um, (laughs) very clear. Yeah, yeah. it is clear. I think what I'd love to um, explore more is, you know, trauma is something that we all experience, you know, I think it's something that every human being goes through, no matter what your upbringing looks like. I think it's also based on, you know, our soul and what are the soul path we chose in this lifetime and what that looks like. So I love how comprehensive your approach, the spiritual, the body, you know, I love that, um, that's the way that you navigate that work with your clients. Um, before we dive into, uh, another topic that I'd love for us to chat about, I, if you could share a little bit more about how someone can begin to work with, um, resolving or healing or exploring their trauma. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think it's valuable to start by gathering information, by reading, by listening to things like this conversation, we want to work with trauma slowly. We, uh, I'll share with you my favorite phrase. So it is actually the um, Navy SEALs motto, random, but I've taken it on as my trauma healing motto, which is slow is smooth and smooth is fast. Right? With Navy SEALs, there's no room for error right? They can't mess up. So their whole thing is like, go slowly. And that, and then you go, it's smooth. And then you actually end up being fast. So I find the same with trauma work. Trauma is anything that has made us go into protection mode that has made it feel like it's not safe to be fully expressed. And so we want to work very gently with that. If I'm closed in in protection mode, it's not going to be helpful for me to rush in and just open myself up and like go dig through all my trauma and like all that stuff is just, that's going to make me close up again. 
So we start slowly. So we start with just understanding, you know, learning. But ultimately, we we can't heal trauma just from the mind. Trauma doesn't live in the conscious mind. Trauma lives in the subconscious and in the nervous system and in the energy body. So eventually, <clears throat> it will mean um, connecting with your own body and ideally doing work with a practitioner. I don't think trauma can be healed alone. There's so much healing that happens in relationship. And you want to be really, you know, mindful about who you share that vulnerable part of yourself with. Not everybody is equipped or capable of holding trauma in a way that is going to be supportive for you. So I always recommend like working with a professional, but before even, or in concert with that, you know, working with your own body. So starting to notice like, where am I holding tightness in my body? And is it possible for me to breathe in a way that creates a little space here? Or maybe my body wants to move. And just starting to, just being uh, somatically mindful, right? Being aware of what's happening inside your body is a huge step in trauma healing because often with trauma, we're disconnected from our bodies. And we see that in our culture, right? I totally agree with you that everybody has some level of trauma. You know, it's different for different people. But culturally, we're living like from the neck up. We're not really um, socially supported to really feel, to feel our feelings. So just to start to feel the feelings and start to feel into the body is a great introduction or kind of way in to the deeper work. Mm, thank you for sharing that. The other, I'm curious to know your take on the book that I have not read this yet, but it's been recommended to me and a few of my friends. Um, it's really resonated as they've navigated their trauma was um, the body keeps the score. Do you mm -hmm. find that helpful with this work? The body keeps the score is a very dense book that I'm embarrassed to admit. I have still to get through it. <laughs> it's on my bookshelf and it's one of those that I like keep going to over the years, um, and need to take a break with, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, one of the, the, the go-tos, um, for learning about trauma healing. I do recommend it. Um, and, and then again, mm -hmm. think yourself, like go slowly. Like you, if something mm -hmm. feels overwhelming in the journey, then back away right? We want to slowly increase the tolerance to, you know, think about and feel certain things. And that takes time. Trauma is not going to be healed in, you know, reading a, one book or going to one therapy session or even one month of therapy. Um, it takes time and that's okay. It's totally okay. There's no rush and you can find peace and you can find healing you know, on the journey, it's not about like getting to a place of I'm healed. I'm still healing my trauma, me, who's a trauma healer. <laughs> and I've been doing this work, well, trauma healing specifically for six years, but therapeutic work for mm -hmm. over 10. I'm still working on it. And it's, it, it can turn, it can be beautiful. It can be really empowering. Yeah, I know. Me too. I think, 
Uh, I think it's a continued process and experience. And I I think, you know, oftentimes what I found with my own, um, you know, trauma work is new things are revealed, you know, as you explore and find one thing, new things are revealed. And that's, that's not to say like, I don't want it to sound like you're always working through your trauma, but, you know, once you begin to, um, really unwind and unravel what some of the experiences you've navigated are that have impacted or been traumatic for you growing up or, you know, throughout life or or whatever it looks like for you. Um, It's kind of like, you know, pulling a thread where it's, you know, new things will be revealed. Um, And, and, but I also feel like I've gotten not better. I don't want to use that word, but um, I have tools and resources now. So it's not as painful or challenging as it once was when I first began my spiritual awakening process, because I know, Hey, if something in my body isn't feeling right, particularly I'll use myself as an example. Lately, I've been engaging with something, um, this app, (laughs) I hate to even use this as an example, but it's been activating my fight or flight. And it's, it's reminding me of my addiction and the trauma associated with my addiction. And I had to call my sponsor that's in recovery and just say like, I don't, I'm not, I don't like I want to drink or use drugs, but the same sensations in that I feel in my body, that fight or flight mechanism, that adrenaline rush is being activated. And mm-hmm. so I've had to, because I have the tools and resources and I've done the work, I was able to identify that. Whereas before I would have just kept engaging in it because mm-hmm. I have this addictive tendency, you know? So yeah. as we engage with you know, new tools, new resources. Again, I'll use the same words. It's, it helps us to identify more easily and find support. And, you know, I was able to call someone and say, I need some help with this because I'm, I'm repeating the same patterns, but if I hadn't done the work on it, I would have never known, you know? Yeah. And you, yeah, you would not have known because it was unconscious. And when we have consciousness, Mm -hmm. we then have choice. And when we have choice, we have power and we're always as humans, Mm. especially on the spiritual path, we are always expanding our consciousness. And that is helpful for our, yeah, our spiritual journey. It's also helpful for our Mm -hmm. healing journey and just our journey as, as a human, because yeah, if, like I said, if you're unconscious, you, you are kind of powerless. You don't have that choice. And I've had the same experience as you and all the teachers that I've talked to who have have more experience than us say the same thing that like, yeah, the, we have certain issues that we're here to work through in this lifetime and we're going to meet those issues again and again, but we meet them at a different level every time. So every time, you know, it's like, I have more resources this time. I have more tools. Mm. Like it doesn't last as long for me. It doesn't, throw me out. You know, I used to get so completely taken out by my stuff. Like, like I couldn't function, you know, whereas now it comes Mm -hmm. up and, you know, maybe I do need to take 30 minutes to have a temper tantrum and that's totally fine. But I, then I can like, you know, use my tool. Having a temper tantrum is a tool by the way, uh, if done consciously (laughs) and in a safe space, right. And not harming anybody else. But, um, actually that was one of the tools that really helped me and, and healing my inner child was like, wow, you get to have these emotions. You get to express them as you express in a safe way. Then you can move forward. 
right? Then it's, that's, you know, mm-hmm. now, and now I can get back to whatever I was wanting to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. So the last topic I want to touch on before we wrap up is something that you and I chat a lot about. So I've shared really openly with the audience about, you know, my anxiety and depression. In fact, my first episode back was all about, you know, this dark healing hallway that I went through um, when I started having, you know, like I called it like my psychotic break. And I got to a place mentally that I had never been before that was really, really dark. You know, I had gotten off um, some medication and, you know, was exploring different modalities and, you know, was really trying to see how I would feel or if I could navigate, um, without it. And for me, it ended up bringing me to an even more challenging space in my life in terms of my mental health. And, um, you know, for me, it's anxiety and, um, I haven't, it's not so much depression for me. I mean, I did end up in a really depressive state during this episode, but for me, it was a lot of, um, panic attacks and, you know, suicidal ideation and things like that, that it was just a really dark time. And, you know, I had to get back on some of my medication and I felt a lot of mixed feelings about it because I was in a really, um, intense space of expanding in my own spiritual process and community and working with others. And I felt really judged by people and the community as a whole that talks about the fact that, you know, pharmaceutical companies are getting rich off of our illness and that you shouldn't need medication. And it just felt like a huge layer of judgment being cast down on me when I really needed it at that time. And still to this day, um, to help me to live a more stable and healthy life. And so, you know, this is something we talk about, and I'd love to hear um, your perspective on this and your views. I think the listeners can really benefit from your own life experience. Whatever you're open to sharing is totally fine, um, but I know it's definitely something that we've um, discussed together that we both have experienced in our lives. Yeah, and this was when we met, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was when you were going through that. It all started cracking open the way we met. The weekend we met was when I was traveling and I started having my first serious, serious panic attacks and unable to sleep. And um really, yeah, that was the beginning of it, was yeah. the the weekend that you and I met. And I would say that that was the beginning of it for me too. <laughs> um, maybe not the beginning, but that's certainly um that was a pivotal, that time in my life and in, in our life and that group that we were in, um, was really pivotal for, it sounds like for, for your journey, for my journey as well, because like many, um, groups in the, I want to, I want to say quote spiritual. I mean, there is a spirituality, but that's so vague. So maybe I'll say like the kind of new age wellness community that, like you said, really has a lot of judgments around what is okay to put in your body and to use as a tool and what is not okay. And there's a deep purity culture in new age spirituality. We think of purity culture as being something that is related to like Christianity. And it is in terms of like sexual purity, but this like new age wellness world has 
deeply embedded purity, uh, purity standards of like, oh, you can only eat this. And if you eat this, that means you're not like a clear channel or, um, you know, don't drink this or don't, you know, don't take these, these medications. And somebody, a leader in, you know, this community actually said to me, I would never, ever recommend that anybody be on pharmaceuticals. Now, to give a background for this, I forget that we're not just talking on the phone because <laughs> you already know my story. Like the background. Uh, I know. Give me context because it's not just us here. I know. <laughs> so for all of you who are listening, yeah. So, um, okay. So to back up, back up, I started taking uh, antidepressants when I was 17. Like I said, I grew up in a in a traumatic environment, and I was having suicidal ideation at that point. I was really depressed. Um, so, you know, I do think it saved my life at that time. And I had been on it, um, you know, since then. When I moved to California and I got introduced to this, like, alternative wellness world where, um, I mean, it's it's probably everywhere across the planet, but really intensely here in California. Um, and I started, you know, hearing talk about like, oh, pharmaceuticals are toxic and, um, ayahuasca is the way to heal depression and all this stuff. So, you know, I decided that, well, I, I need to get off of antidepressants. I really, I drank the Kool-Aid And by the way, I'm trained as a social worker. So I would be telling people, my clients as a social worker about medication, about the value of taking, you know, mental health medication. Just like if you have diabetes, you wouldn't shame somebody for taking insulin if they need it to live. Well, you know, there's no shame about taking, you know, medication for your mental health. But then in my mind and and my personal life, I'm starting to um, you know, think that there's something wrong with that. Cause I'm receiving a lot of messages that there is something wrong with that. So I had this idea of like, Oh, well, I need to get off of that. I don't want to be dependent. And I also want to sit with ayahuasca. You can't, um, sit with ayahuasca. If you're on SSRIs, it can cause a psychotic break. Um, it's potentially fatal. Unfortunately, a lot of people who are serving that plant medicine, are not aware of this contraindication or don't really take it seriously. I remember um, several years ago, I was invited to an ayahuasca ceremony and I brought this concern to the person and he told me, um, oh, just stop taking your meds for three days. You'll be fine. You can't do that. If you've been on a medication, so dangerous if you've been on a medication for like a decade, you can't just stop cold Turkey. That withdrawal can cause a host mm. of issues. And then I don't even know if like my body would have been ready for ayahuasca. Anyway, I'm glad that my intuition was like, yeah, no, I don't think so. And I didn't end up doing it. But, um, I went on this two year process of trying to go off of the antidepressants because I'd been on them for so long. I knew that I had actually tried previously and did it too quickly. And the withdrawal was really intense. So I like, you know, went on this whole thing and, you know, took all the supplements and did, you know, all the, all the things that the wellness folks say is better than taking medication, um, to, to wean myself off. And I was very close to the end of that process 
I was maybe three quarters of the way towards the end of that process when you and I met when we were involved in this group. And hearing things like that, like from a leader to say, um, I would never, ever recommend that anybody be on pharmaceuticals. The wise part of me would, would know that that's not a healthy statement, but I was very vulnerable. I was going through withdrawal. Like my brain chemistry was, um, depleted and, and altered from trying, from going off of something that it had become dependent on that I really questioned. I was like, Oh my God. So I actually sped up the process of going off the medication and it was extremely dangerous for me. Um, I did almost have a psychotic break and actually at the second weekend that you weren't there. Um, and I had suicidal ideation and just the, the physical withdrawal was so hard and I was just fighting it every day, just fighting. Cause I was like, I have to get off this medication. And I don't even remember why I needed to do that. It was just like, I have to do this. Um, and I remember talking to a friend, she's actually one of my teachers at the hypnotherapy school and then be, has since become a, a friend. And she said, honey, there's no prize for suffering. You are suffering without this medication. Wow. Why are you doing this to yourself? And I remember saying to her, well, I want to, I want to open my spiritual channel. And she goes, mm. wait a minute you did a vision quest, didn't you? So sidebar, I, you know, this hypnotherapy community was also connected to Lakota community. And through that, I was able to do a vision quest uh, with Lakota in Colorado. This was about four years ago, four or five years ago. And that was an incredibly spiritual experience. And I was on my antidepressants at the time. And she said, you had a vision. You had that incredible spiritual experience. Weren't you on your meds then? And I said, yeah. And she goes, so what makes you think that you can't have spiritual experiences when you're taking medication? Trying not to take Mm -hmm. medication is really harming you and you might lose your life. Mm -hmm. And that really, um, that really shifted something for me. And I'm, I'm deeply grateful for that conversation. And I'm grateful for leaving communities where, you know, it's gaslighting basically to tell somebody Mm -hmm. that, you know, they're uh, wrong for they're you know, crazy for choosing to take, you know, have mental health support in the form of medication. Um, why Mm -hmm. is pharmaceutical medication more morally sound than plant medication? Like, who says that? Meanwhile, ayahuasca, yeah, I, I, I hear it's great. I have never sat with it. I probably never will. It does seem incredibly healing, but I also know it's absolutely not for everybody. And mm-hmm. so say like, oh, plant medicine is the way, that's not accurate. To say pharmaceutical is the way for everybody, that's not accurate either. But like we said at right. the beginning, we have to find what's right for us. And I'm so Mm -hmm. grateful because after that experience, I got a new psychiatrist. I actually got a proper diagnosis. So um, I, you know, apparently I was taking the wrong medications because I was improperly diagnosed. So now I'm on like more of a mood stabilizer than an SSRI. And, and through that, you know, through proper diagnosis, through medication, through therapy, 
I feel so much better than when I was like mm-hmm. muscling through and my spiritual practice is better now because you cannot connect to the divine if you're in crisis mode, if you're in fight flight, right? If you're having panic attacks or if you want to kill yourself, like there's no space for the divine to come in, in that place. Totally. And I think the other thing is, um, you don't have to have sat with plant medicine to have spiritual experiences. Like for me, even on my medication or off my medication, I am able to connect and channel light language and have profound medicinal like um, experiences where I get visions for myself. And, um, you know, so my, one of my spiritual teachers who's totally tuned in, um, you know, she's a shaman and her work is really with um, earth and sky medicine. And she tunes in as a channel, as a bridge between both of them. And her work is strictly with her own, um, her own connection to the divine. And she's not a proponent of plant medicines and she's not against it. Like, Hey, just like Katya said there, we're not preaching one way, you know, is right for everyone. It's more so everyone has the right to choose and to really sit with and understand what's best for them. And it's more so saying like, Hey, if you're in the spiritual community, if you are spiritually curious, don't feel like, you know, you need to be one way because the overall community as a whole is pushing a specific agenda. Do what feels and is right and aligned for you with everything, not just, mm-hmm. you know, medication use or sitting in medicine, but whatever you explore, whatever healing modalities or things you choose to partake in that are in the spiritual space. Um, we always talk about taking that, you know, lens of curiosity, um, to allow you room to really find what's most aligned with your soul because everyone's soul is, is calling them to something different. Mm -hmm. And we talk about as you grow that shifts and changes, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, it was, um, it looked one way two years ago. And now as I've grown, my perspective has changed, um, my connection to source, the direction I'm getting internally from my soul, from my connection to universe, it's shifted where I'm at. And that, that changes over time. So, um, really just want to hone in on that before we wrap up. So thank you, Katya, for sharing, um, so openly and vulnerably your experience Oh, sorry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is just no, so important. So many people have been harmed by by the ideas that we can't, like the idea that we can't be curious and that people can't have different ways of doing things. You know, a lot of, I've spoken to a lot of people, a lot of people who've been really harmed in the spiritual community around this conversation of mental health and pharmaceuticals, but it's not just about medication, even just like, you know, feeling your feelings like, or having, you know, negative thoughts. Um, you know, some teachers will, will talk a lot of big talk around, yeah, feel all your feelings. But then when you actually tell them, Hey, I'm feeling really depressed. Sometimes you get the message of like, well, you created that. No, like the Mm -hmm. the, the spiritual Mm -hmm. bypass and like, um, and by the way, spiritual bypass means using spirituality to bypass the human experience. And you hear this sometimes with like law of attraction teachings where it's like, don't think negative thoughts or you're going to attract negative things. That's just not true. There's a, there's a truth to it, but I'll tell you that for some weird reason, 
every time I'm on a plane, I think about it crashing and it's never once crashed, you know, like, and I have deep feelings of grief, of anger, and that's okay. It's part of the human experience and only through allowing and through feeling who we are as humans, can we actually process through that and connect to our divinity? I think often when we try to avoid that in Mm -hmm. the name of spirituality, it actually takes us further away from it because isn't spirituality Mm -hmm. the core or whatever we're going to call God or universe, isn't it unconditional love and acceptance? And so if we Mm. put like uh, conditions on what is a appropriate spiritual practice or who's spiritual and who's not, that's the opposite of spirituality. Mm. Wow. I mean, there's not much more we can say after that. <laughs> I think Thank you. It. That was, I think you nailed it. You put the <laughs> hail on the he- nail, hit the nail on the head. And, but I can't even talk now. Cause I'm like, Whoa, um, you just wrapped that up. So beautifully. I'm like, it really, really, that was such a beautiful way of just summarizing and really, um, allowing the audience to receive a transmission that, um, that that tied all of those pieces together that we've really explored on this episode. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, sister, for joining us today. I'd love for you to share. How can people work with you? What does that look like? Where can they find you? Yeah. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much. Like this is such an important conversation. Um, and I know I already said it, but I feel like I have to say it again. There is room for mental health in the spiritual world and there's room for spirituality in mental health care. And, you know, a lot Mm -hmm. of people that do work with me come to me because, you know, they haven't found one in the other in the past. Like maybe they've been in therapy, but there wasn't, an understanding of spirituality and like the person didn't really speak their spiritual language, so to say, so to speak, or they're, you know, doing a lot of spiritual healing, like, you know, Reiki and yoga, which is wonderful, but you're not going to heal trauma that way. So, um, yeah, if you, if you're interested in learning about that kind of the meeting of science and spirit, that's what I love to do. I'm on Instagram at Katya Lovejoy. That's K-A-T-Y-A-L-O-V-E-J-O-Y. And my website's the same, katyalovejoy.com. You can, I've written way too much on my website. I have to actually edit it and like make it a little more streamlined, but you can read about my story and the different things that I offer. Um, I have a whole range of offerings. It's really, really important for me to make healing accessible to all people. So, you know, we can work together one-on-one. I have some self-study courses. The sky's the limit with the healing. And I'm always open to these conversations. And again, Bridget, thank you for having these conversations and this podcast. It's truly, truly needed in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah. And for everyone listening, um, everything will be linked in the show notes and please take a moment to check out Katya's work. She's truly, truly amazing in what she does. Um, thank you sister for being here with us today and we will chat soon. I'd love to have you back at some point also. I would love that. Thank you so much. so much for joining us in today's episode. It is such an honor to get to walk alongside you in your soul healing journey. If you're curious about the work that I do or looking for some additional soul resources, head on over to my website, 
bridgetnistico.com or check me out on Instagram at bridgetnistico.